Hi guys, welcome back to another episode of the From Time to Time podcast. I'm obviously still here and still your host, Julian from Stolp. Today we'll hear from Deepak Mehta. Deepak will lead us into a wide-ranging conversation about creativity during the pandemic, how digital technology is changing how young people learn, and also how he encourages parents to understand what their kids are actually doing online. Join me in the next half hour with Deepak. Enjoy and one, two, three, there we go. Today I'm joined by Deepak Mehta. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. We'll hear it in a second. And Deepak and I actually met like like true uh, youngsters somewhere in the online comments uh, of our Kickstarter campaign, if I remember correctly. Um, I spent all night thinking of an intro for this guy and uh, where to start. Uh, maybe the first thing I would say is that he's an optimist and a tech enthusiast. And he also believes that ecosystems can uh, save us. He's a jack of many trades. I've always wanted to say that. Uh, he's currently the ecosystem developer for the Maritime Campus in Antwerp or MCA. Uh, after spending five years at Technopolis, yeah, how to describe Technopolis? Uh, a nationwide institution to spark tech and science curiosity among kids in Belgium. Uh, also outside of the office hours, uh, he doesn't really sit still. Uh, there's a whole list of side gigs that he uh, was or is involved with. He organized TEDx Antwerps, he organizes hackathons, and also recently aired on Team Schere, a television program that invites makers to solve important human issues through the power of technology and innovation. Good morning, Deepak. Good morning. So as I said, where to start? Well, I had a, I had a cool idea that I, I wanted to bounce off of you. We just had a extremely weird year behind us but usually in these weird times also a lot of interesting stuff changes or happens and i also observed a lot of technological and, and behavior trends uh, that either accelerated or or revealed themselves uh, but i was wondering which ones that stood out uh, most for you during during that pandemic and there's one condition you cannot say the word zoom <laughs> okay Teams. <laughs> teams, yeah. No, um, I think one of the biggest um, reveals for me was actually um, the whole um, efforts that came up from citizens on um, the Corona think tank to start solving um, immediate problems like, okay, we need face masks. Um, can we build, you know, cutouts and easily buildable um, face masks, uh, but then protective gear. A lot of things came in, solutions for um, elderly homes getting connected. Um, but it all came from concerned citizens who kind of got together in an ecosystem and actually started solving, uh, solving things that needed an agility that larger organizations and governments did not have. It's again, it's the startup versus the large corporation game. Um, a large corporation takes time to actually get in gear and change the way they work. Um, small companies can try and test things and then say, well, this works and wait, it bridges the gap till the government actually got their face masks in order. Um, in the meantime, these face masks helped a lot of people. So I think that's that's the one important thing um, 
I think that the virus has taught us. Yeah, it sparked it like a, a certain type of creativity that maybe a lot of people didn't really thought or remembered. They had like, I saw a guy who even uh, made like a 1.5 meter social distance suit and he would run around in the city and people could not actually literally get closer to him than 1.5 meters. So it's weird how in, in funny or like in just creative and, and productive ways that, that people uh, that people came up with ideas. Yeah. yeah and also since um, a lot of activities um, weren't possible, people had free time and all of a sudden discovered that um, they could actually uh, do things that, you know, they never thought they could, you know, my, my, my daughter started making face masks um, and it was like, you know, a rediscovered power that she kind of, it's like, whoa, I can do this. And the first ones were difficult, but then as she got the hang of it, it became easier and easier to do. Yeah. Um, I think if the crisis were not there, she wouldn't have touched the sewing machine except for mending a few clothes. And and from a technology st point of uh, point of view, like I, I wrote an article like explaining like how just only a year of increased digital uh, behavior, increased and very intense screen time, can actually have very long term effects. And I made the comparison like we're all we're always bothered like not be able to go to a bar but nobody's really concerned about the impact on their pension fund, right? So we're very concerned about the short-term effects and not really thinking about the long-term effects. Do you also think there, there's going to be a, a long-term uh, effect in, from, from a technological point of view? I think um, the way we work is seriously going to change. Um, or has changed. Well, it has changed, um, but of course, um, the societal tendency is to reset things after a crisis. Simply say, okay, this was the pandemic and now uh, it's 2018 again, just go back to where you were. But what you're seeing is that, for instance, for going back to work, people don't want to kind of sit in traffic for an hour um, to be at their work at nine o'clock, simply to be able to send emails for an hour. Um, but there's, there's a different way of managing your time. Um, I think it's not going to be all digital and it's not going to be all physical, but we've kind of moved on from at least the all physical part towards a more hybrid form. Um, there is need for interaction, but what I'm, what I'm seeing, for instance, is, um, you know, my kids take online courses in other universities. Yeah. Simply because like, well, it doesn't matter whether I take an online course at my university here or on the other side of the world, because I'm sitting in a screen and I'm doing the same efforts. So why not tap into the knowledge that is the most relevant? And I think that kind of expansion of horizon mm -hmm. um, through hybrid will be great. I mean, you're, you're far more likely to kind of interact with beyond your bubble for projects. And, and yeah, I mean, the tools that have evolved in this pandemic, um, I mean, it's, it's like an accelerator, right? The teams, uh, tools that are out there would not have evolved that quickly yeah. if it weren't for this. 
Yeah, and I, and I notice you talk a lot about your kids uh, in this first part of the conversation. Like it's almost like uh, you witnessed the change through their, well, like how they experienced and, and yeah. I always tell people um, that if it weren't for me having kids, I'd be a diamond dealer still. A diamond dealer. Yes, that's my secrets identity. I couldn't find that online. <laughs> well, um, yeah, well, that's how diamond dealers work, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think uh, I had a personal experience with education, which was, you know, it never challenged me. So you kind of walk through education um, without really an effort. But that also meant that I've never learned to kind of sit down and learn in a disciplined manner because it all kind of happens automatically. Uh, things like, okay, uh, physics. And then you're like, yeah, this is obvious. And, and this is how it links to maths. And this is how it links to chemistry. And okay, yeah, I, I got this. Um, and then everything that happens afterwards is a logical consequence. And where kids struggle, you know, quantum mechanics and everybody's like, how does that work? Now, all of a sudden, it's not a particle, it's a wave. And you're like, yeah, okay, that's understandable. And then, you know, kind of all the other consequences. Um, but that makes, yeah, for me, you know, once I understand the logic of it, everything else kind of falls into place. Um, but that makes that I've never kind of had to sit down and learn stuff and take an effort and build a discipline to kind of, okay, I sit down, I have to finish this many chapters and these many exercises. And yeah, I, I saw the same thing with my kids, which was that, well, they were learning the wrong things. And well, in my scenario, if you're good at that, what happens is, oh, you're good in academics. So um, you know, you, you do Latin Greek, uh, you go to university and, and, you know, kind of a whole trajectory is kind of um, planned out for you. Whereas nobody actually asked the question, which is, what do you want to do? You know, my, my, my secret hobby was working with computers, but I always assumed that the fact that I could kind of do stuff with computers was an obvious thing. You know, it's like you don't have experts in dishwashers it's like <laughs> maybe so yeah it's like you close this thing you press on a button i'm definitely and it, not an expert in dishwashing <laughs> so the the I, i've never you know kind of appreciated what i had as a skill set as being a worthwhile skill set yeah. and especially i would say late 80s and you're going through high school knowing how computers work wasn't really a, um, you know, a marketable skill. You, you became a lawyer, a doctor, uh, an accountant, or um, it's, you know, kind of, there was a set trajectory of yeah. approved educations yeah, yeah, that yeah. you would do if you were clever. You know, people would have asked me what I want to do. And I had said car mechanic. They would have said, oh, no, 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 no. You're not becoming a car mechanic. Uh, so... Uh it feels like what you're saying is that um, education huh, and used to have like these traditional trajectories, paths that they could follow and that kids are on their own almost like experimenting and, and breaking, breaking up and realizing that it's, it's not so fixed. There's, 
there's a million ways to educate yourself. Well, yeah, that's that's how I got into this, right? So what I saw when my kids were turning 10, 11 years old was that nobody was asking what they would like to be or what they were good at. Everybody was like, oh, they're academically good, so they need to be doing this. And, and I think the whole struggle began with kind of um, typing lessons. Oh, I did those. I failed miserably. Yeah. So I was like, well, you know, seriously, when you guys grow up, there's no need for actually learning how to type with 10 fingers. And and I think I've proven my point because we're all kind of working with two thumbs right now. And hey, autocorrect Siri. is kind of doing the rest. Um, so that was a kind of first confrontation I had. I said, well, my kids don't need to learn how to type because that's not a skill set that will actually help them move forward with from where they are. Um, and then school comes back and goes like, well, if you don't learn your kids how to type, they will miserably fail in STEM. Uh, <laughs> so they panicked and they were like, yeah, but dad, the teacher says, and I was like, well, okay, let me give you context. And then, yeah, my daughter was kind of okay with it but my son was really kind of i mean he's he's a clone of me so he has the same issues and the same struggles um and he kind of got disinterested in school yeah it was like i think a lot, there's a lot of those they're not you know they're not really triggering me um and again things happen naturally you know you pass your exams without even learning then over time, you kind of get this thing about why am I in school? You know, it's like I can just come for my exams, just do them and then go home and hey, And that's a risk, right? Because at that point, they kind of uh, see all learnings as being unnecessary. So what I did was kind of I made a secret pact. I said, well, you have to get 14 on 20 on average on your subjects. If you go beyond that, you're putting too much effort into school. If you go below that, you're not putting enough effort in school. But school isn't everything. Just enough. Just enough. And that's a revolution in my family, right? Because right. For the me, higher the better. For right. me, it was like, you know, when I was in, uh, in high school, it was literally like I had to be the top three kids of the school. And it was a struggle. It was like, well, you know, I'm number two right now, but oh, he's getting a better exam. And I got to a point where I had to take national exams in Holland. And I could literally just, everything except for Dutch, I could fill in a blank page, get a one on 10 and still pass. So it was like, hmm, do I need to study? And then it was like, well, yeah, because my parents would be disillusioned if I just was the 16th person to pass school and not the number yeah, yeah, one yeah. or two. So but you actually have a completely uh, different view on education for your kids than, than but I, I feel like there's, a, there's this, there's this passion about kids and, and education. And I was wondering, is, was that, is that how you rolled into this uh, Team Schere uh, episode on, on kids and, and smartphones? Like, so I was just what wondering happened was my, my, my kids, you know, kind of seven on, 14 on 20 as an average. Yeah. And then what I said was, if you get 14 on 20, we'll start doing cool stuff. Okay. 
And, you know, I kind of took him along to, you know, lectures on robotics. I, you know, said, well, hey, I know some people. Let's go and see a robot lab. Let's go see 3D printing, this and that. And at one given point, he kind of joined the first TEDx kids in Brussels. Yeah. Um, and out of sheer frustration, um, he got it like, you know, a, a, a Minecraft-like 3D print, uh, 3D design environment. And they were like build stuff. And that was a point where he had to start wearing glasses. And he simply said, well, out of sheer frustration, I f- don't find cool glasses. So let me kind of design my own set of glasses. So he made eyewear with his name large on top. And they didn't know what they were doing with the tool. But actually what they did was they 3D printed all the designs that the kids made um, and were presented. Well, this is 3D printers technology. And it kind of mind blown. It was like, we can draw stuff and it actually gets built. Yeah. Um, and when I saw that, that was kind of like a trigger. Um, initially it was like, okay, let's see if, he still picks up on this a few months later. You know, it's like it's like riding ponies, right? R- like riding what? Riding ponies. Your kids get enthusiastic about it, but the moment you buy a pony, they're like, huh, yeah, you know, I'm more into skating now. <laughs> um, so we are like, well, let's see how long this... This enthusiasm hop- lasts. Exactly. Yeah. And this, you know, you don't want to kind of buy a pony and then have, have them disinterested. Um, but, you know, the trigger stayed and he started seeing, oh, yeah, you know, it's like the knobs on the radiators. Well, they're not there. Well, I could print knobs for the radiator and started designing stuff. And then at one given point, you know, bought a 3D printer and kind of it escalated again. And uh, at one given point, we were the Belgian house with more 3D printers than humans. Um, <laughs> um but it triggered and people saw that. They saw that, you know, he kind of took more effort into school because he was kind of seeing the larger context. He understood where mathematics came in, where physics came into this thing. Um, and it drove him. But then a lot of other parents started like, well, what you're doing for your kids, can't you do this for ours? Yeah. Um, and I also saw kind of, I would say, the fact that they could draw something on a computer and 3D print actually made it reality for a lot of kids was a superpower. They saw it as, whoa, now we can take on the world. Yeah. Because you know, we just have to draw it out. You're getting me excited about buying a 3D printer, by the way. Um. <laughs> so that trigger um, is very important because that kind of, at a young age helps kids define, I would say, a purpose or, or a, you know, kind of, yeah. well, purpose is maybe a bad word, but... Kind of like, like it sparks, like the enthusiasm in technology sparks, like the curiosity to understand how it works and what it can bring to you and... and, and but it creates agency. Mm-hmm. You know, kids feel that they are able to solve a problem themselves. Um, and I think that agency is very important because in a sense, we're living in a time where every problem is fixable, um, on an individual level. 
the tools available for people to solve, I would say, their individual problems, not the systemic problems. I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, kind of there is one individual out there who has the solution for global warming. Um, that's a systemic problem. But yeah, I would say better fitting shoes, eyewear that, you know, is it's personal well-being. Yeah. Um, all the things, that, for instance, that you're seeing in teams here as well. Yeah. That there are people who kind of fall between the gap of solutions. And you're kind of at a Pareto point where large corporations are not really interested in solving the gaps anymore because the solutions that are out there fixes the pain for 80% of the population and fixing the pain for the, the remaining 20% is too much of an effort. So you're, you're at a phase where on the one side, technology is more accessible and on the other side, the will for large corporations and governments to actually solve the next, the, the remaining problems yeah. is not there. Yeah, and then maybe because obviously I'm very interested about, uh, you know, I think everyone experiences the good, the bad, the ugly, the good um, of around smartphone behavior. And um, I just wanted to, because at Team Scherre, you worked with kids, at Technopolis, you worked with kids um, on solving some of these issues and then more specifically around how do I use my smartphone in a good or in a, in a healthy way. Um, I see a lot of, like every modern home today has either a, like very strict rules around smartphone or uh, a parental control device at home. Do you think it's actually possible to even for young kids, but all kids, to make them aware and to solve their own problems without falling into the category of, of yelling or punishing them? Can they actually solve it themselves or do they need our guidance? I think there's a balance there in the sense that as a parent you're stuck in a, a paradigm on what digital tools do. And there is kind of the younger generation and they use these tools in a totally different manner. You know, uh, a lot of parents are, for instance, concerned about, you know, kind of their kids on, uh, on PlayStation. But then very often they're not just playing a game. It's a social network. It's a social network. And it's a social construct that helps them find peers on niches that they would not find on the street or in playgrounds or in the scouts. So it allows them to explore the diversity of kind of uh, offerings out there and find communities that actually say, well, yeah, what you like, there are other people's out, people out there who also like the same thing. Right. So it starts with like already a discrepancy between two generations, being the parents and the kids and the for example, the, the parents would look at it and say, like, they're gaming eight hours a day. But actually, they're also talking to friends. They're engaging. They're having conversations over, over chat or And over, that's why, that's why when, I, when, when this challenge came up, I said, well, this is something that you solve through agency. You create the realization with the kids that there is a problem. And very honestly, I mean, you have to give children credit for being able to understand that as well. They do see that sometimes they're kind of getting dragged into it. Um, so you felt, you felt that, that they, yeah, understand they, 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 you know, when you, when, when, you know, they kind of feel that, um, the fact that 
YouTube pushes the next video and the next video and the next video. I go like, well, it's very difficult to kind of stop. So they do see that they're kind of getting sucked into it. On the other side, um, it's what what kind of are you consuming or are you prosuming and producing? Very often, you know, I wouldn't mind my kids getting sucked or any kid getting sucked into um, a series of YouTubes on kind of um, how to build technology a 3D or yeah, how to build a 3D printer or what electronics is about. Um, but getting sucked into one music video after the other, after the other. Um, what I liked about, for instance, the pandemic did to TikTok. It moved from, you know, being a dance move video platform to an actual content platform. And it was, there was actually cool content on there. So again, you can't brush over digital as being this one bad thing. There's qualities in digital um, that are good and there are qualities in digital that need to be taken care of. But I think that realization, you can police it or you can educate your children to say, well, you know, you can be behind a screen, but make sure that you realize whether you're consuming or producing or sitting somewhere in between. Yeah, and that, and that element of agency um, makes sure the kids are given credit, um, feel like they can solve it on their own. They don't have to listen to their parents. But it's all about the individual. And now there's also a lot of talks about like, what is the responsibility of a platform like Google, YouTube, or, or Facebook? And where does, like, it doesn't have to come, I feel like from either one side or the other, they have to come closer well, to each other. Like, I think it, it's, it's always a balance in the sense that um, a platform will want to go for the most efficient solution, but will, it will not go for 500 solutions to the one problem. And the individual will allow you to get super localized solutions that work, let's say, in one area because of an availability of a resource, but will not work anywhere else because that resource is not available. But then for that community, it's a solution. And kind of saying, well, no, 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 there's a Google and they've thought about the, you know, the, the most common solution yeah the common that's the one that we're going to hammer into everybody that's kind of naive that's naive and that's also inefficient because you're neglecting local resources you're neglecting local discrepancies in the problem um and saying well you know there's only one problem and that one problem has one solution need i say communist planet economy kind of thing yeah, yeah. um but it's naive and it's not going, I mean, it doesn't work. And it also feels you kind of like um, powerless. Like it's like you're waiting for that one big solution from that one big company. Um, I think that's, uh, it makes you feel like, like less powerful or less um, in charge of, of what you can do on your own. Um, Deepak, I think we can, we can talk for hours now, but I, I wanted to end with one, with one final thing. I know you, love hacking stuff on your own. Um, you've tried to figure out how to make things work for you. Your kids do it as well. Is there one little phone or a little screen hack that you 
implement yourself that you that you would recommend or that you should you say like Julian try this out oh god um we did we did something really nice um at the beginning of the pandemic with technopolis which actually came from a pain and and you know it's like i always say the, the pain a user pain is is kind of the biggest driver for innovation um uh, which was simply that um uh, we were all working from home um i mean most of us had kids uh, or you know life partners or other people living in the house and then when you're in a skype call or in a teams call and somebody walks in or your kids walk in so what we built was kind of a little piece of electronics which simply uh, allows you to put on a light the moment that you're in a call um, oh, so could, i get on the zoom a light bulb pops up and then the person in the house knows yeah you could you could actually make a piece you know kind of put it on your your kitchen table and it, every person had a light and you could see oh yeah wait um this light is on so julian is somebody we can't disturb right now okay i like that i'll i'll try that at the office cuz i i i think that could work Maybe just to close off, I know you're involved with a lot of side gigs. Is there one you want to point out, and and maybe where can we find more information about that? Oh, there are, yeah. yeah I mean, if lot, I have I to choose my babies, it's difficult. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> um, the one thing I'm I'm very passionate about right now is project called Project Curious. Okay, I'm curious. Um, it's something that we're doing with uh, with the Aremberg Theater here. Okay, uh, so just. I couldn't imagine it's curious.com. No, projectcurious.eu. And it's it's actually to um, bring scientists and stage performers together. Um, why? Because science communication um, has its limitations on kind of reaching a general audience. When can we, when the first show would be in the near future, I guess? It's um, 11th, 10th and 11th of December this year. Deepak, this was the first but not the last. I'm going to invite you over. I feel like there's a lot more to talk about. But uh, I want to thank you. I want to send you off on a beautiful remaining of this, this sunny morning. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Okay, guys, that was it again for this episode. Thanks for joining me and stay tuned for the next one. If you can't wait, though, don't worry. There's plenty of more stuff for you already online. Simply go to stolp.com stories and find out more.